read a quote the other day that said that where two or three are gathered, it can be really hard to get along. <laughs> and I would say with the holidays fast approaching, we too resonate with this quote. But I don't think we have to wait for family to gather to feel this saying hitting close to home. Over the last five months or so, we've been spending a lot more time at home with our families. Maybe these things that you once thought were super cute that people in your family did, all of a sudden are not so cute anymore. Kind of like when you're in a new relationship, right? And there's this honeymoon phase where everything is so cute and so fun and it's so great. And then after so much time, those things that you once thought were cute are not so cute anymore. Because over the last five months, we've been spending a lot more time together with our immediate families. We've been spending a lot more time scrolling through social media. We've been spending a lot more time reading articles, watching debates, maybe being a part of debates. We're not strangers to conflict that can bubble up when we find ourselves in close quarters with the people that we love. And then with this added time that we've been spending with our families, we also find ourselves in the midst of a nationwide racial reckoning where conversations are finally being had that should have been had a long time ago. We find ourselves in an election year. Any of these things, any one of these things that I've listed is sure to bring disagreements. And yet, thanks to 2020, we get them all at the same time. Where two or three are gathered, it can be really hard to get along. And then I read our gospel passage for this morning from the lectionary. This passage that talks about resolving conflict the one that you've seen and heard used as a three-step model to addressing conflict as if it's a small portion of scripture written as a self-help column in a local tabloid. You know the one. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. I would venture to say that at least for my heart, this is one of the top 10 most relevant scripture passages that we could possibly be studying and diving into together this morning. So would you join me? Would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, and, and I'll be reading the Common English Bible version. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples here, okay? Matthew 18, 15 to 20 reads, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. If they listen to you, then you've won over your brother or sister. But if they won't listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. If they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as you would a Gentile and tax collector. I assure you, 
that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father, who is in heaven, will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now our scripture passage, the context of our passage, doesn't come to us out of nowhere, right? Jesus' words come to his disciples after he's just finished talking about children. He's just finished talking about the little ones, the group of people in Jesus' time that had the least amount of power. In fact, Jesus even centers a child in the middle of his disciples and says that it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around one's neck than to place a stumbling block before someone such as this child. And this is a strong thing to say against the attitudes and practices that obstruct human flourishing for all of God's people, regardless of their age, right? Jesus isn't just talking about children here, but it's, he's using children as an example for his listeners. And after talking about the little ones, Jesus then goes on to give a parable about the lost sheep. Comparing the little ones to lost sheep, Jesus pointedly asks them, if there was a shepherd that lost one sheep from his flock or her flock, would they not go to get it? And something I find interesting in the scripture here is that Jesus doesn't actually say why, this, why the sheep wandered off. And I found myself wondering about this and just, you know, really putting myself in this scripture. Why did the sheep wander off? Could it be possible that the 99 sheep were blocking this one sheep from having access to water and food? Could it be that the one wandered off because in some shape or form it was being prevented from thriving? But Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say. And so I guess the point of this scripture passage is not actually about why the sheep wandered off, but more about the point that little ones matter deeply to God. And so does the one sheep that wandered off. And then just following this, Jesus gives this word on resolving conflict with one another. Isn't that something, you know, just following this really powerful message, these really powerful examples that he's giving to the disciples about caring for those who, who have maybe been pushed aside or have wandered off or um, are being prevented from thriving, right? Right after that, Jesus talks about conflict and resolving conflict with one another. Jesus has been talking about not preventing other human beings from thriving. And then he makes this natural transition into talking about conflict and confrontation, which really is perfect because then he continues to talk about forgiveness after this, but we'll talk more about that next week. So come back and join us here at 1045 next week as we continue the conversation in Matthew and, and talk about forgiveness. But in our passage this morning, Jesus, in fact, he almost encourages confrontation here. 
As we read the scripture, he's encouraging confrontation between people, which is um, not something I think you hear very often. It's not something I hear very often. But if we were to have to read our passage for this morning as though, as it, as though it were created in a vacuum, we would completely miss out on the whole message God is trying to reveal to us here. It can be tempting to read our scripture as though it's a, a self-help book, rather than taking into account the whole story of God we see in scripture. So Jesus has been modeling this way of living that cares deeply for people who have been pushed to the margins. For the people who have consciously or subconsciously chosen to overlook them as not being their problem. Jesus modeled the way of life that refused to be silent in the face of actions that deeply harmed people or harmed them at all. And as we read this scripture passage in its context, we see that maybe instead of reading this as a three-step model to healthy conflict resolution, instead we should look at it as a way to walk alongside those who are disempowered, vulnerable, and without a voice. I need to confess something to you guys this morning. When I was studying and reading this scripture passage this week, <laughs> the deeper I dove into the word and let it shape my heart, the more it absolutely wrecked me. It just spoke to me in such a deep and real way for this season. Brad and I stayed up until midnight the other night just talking about the ways that we feel like God is moving in our lives right now and the ways that our thinking and our hearts are being shaped by what God is teaching us. And honestly, what Jesus is getting at here is something that God has been working on in my heart for the last 10 years or so. I didn't grow up in a home that did confrontation often. And if we did, it wasn't very direct. Maybe you too can relate to this. And unfortunately, as I entered into adulthood, that just meant that con when conflict came my way, I just dismissed it. I chose not to deal with it. In many ways, it's this fight or flight response. And my response that I had learned was to flight, to put my head in the sand and to not deal with it. And then Brad and I got married in 2013. And here's the thing about marriage, you guys. The, the covenant that my husband and I made before God says that we are going to deal with it. So for me, my marriage to Brad became a means of God working in and through me. To understand that confrontation isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's a very brave thing and a very biblical thing. It can be a very loving thing. Coming from a place of love for each other, a heart for the well-being of one another. And I've got to tell you that the day that my husband and I articulated to each other that we are on each other's side, even in the midst of conflict, was when our conflict resolution began to take 
a healthier turn. When you trust that the people that you're in disagreement with are for you, that they want the best for you and love you, your conflict starts to look very different. You see, our, our love for each other needs to be kept in its rightful place. At the center of every disagreement, our heart for the other person to thrive. But this isn't true just for marriages. This is true for all relationships. Our mode needs to match our means. The conversations that we have with people, whether filled with confrontation or not, must have the love and well-being for the other at the center. I'm going to say that one more time. The conversations that we have with people, whether filled with confrontation or not, must have the love and well-being for the other person at the center. So now I've learned that it's no longer even a choice to avoid confrontation. To live as God calls me to, I can't stick my head in the sand. And as confrontation runs rampant online, fear of confrontation, especially for the church, is deeply felt. Unfortunately, at times we think that to be the hospitable, welcoming, compassionate, and loving people God has called us to be, that somehow that means to avoid confronting sins that destroy individuals, families, and communities. We don't want to be judgmental, so instead we say nothing. However, all throughout scripture, we see prophets like Isaiah speaking up when people are wounded by systems that oppress and destroy. These voices throughout scripture of godly people who can't not speak up. You see, confrontation is a necessary companion on the road to reconciliation. But when confrontation takes place, it needs, to be a, it needs to be done in a way that invites the other party in rather than for the sake of purely calling them out. Are you with me, church? Are you with me this morning for this powerful message that the Lord has for us? Our confrontation should be done in a way that invites reconciliation amongst both parties. Our desire should not just be to call them out, but rather to call them in with humility to a deeper way of understanding for both persons. Our God is a reconciling God who first reconciled himself to us. And because of this, his presence demands that we be reconciled to one another. And then when it comes to conflict and the desire for justice that we have, I can't help but think about the Roman Empire and their understandings of justice and conflict, right? So for the Roman Empire, the people understood justice in two different camps. First, there was distributive justice. Distributive justice was mainly practiced by the Greeks. It sought to redistribute wealth in order to make what is wrong right. And then there was the second 
retributive justice, primarily practiced by the Romans. And this justice sought to punish the offenders. In order for justice to be served, the offender had to suffer. However, both forms of, of these justice systems purely seek to balance the scales of good and evil. This idea that the scale will weigh more heavily on the good side than the evil or the bad side. But then Jesus comes along and he preaches and teaches about an option C. He teaches about a kingdom that anticipates all things being reconciled to Christ. Approaching those who have wronged us not with a purpose to get back what was ours, or to make them suffer as much as you have. Instead, reconciliation for Jesus is not about the scales reading zero. It's about moving us more towards the kingdom of God and inviting those who have wronged us more fully into that kingdom. One of my favorite pastors to listen to is Reverend Shauna Songer Gaines. She's the lead pastor at Tribeca Community Church in Nashville, Tennessee, right next to Tribeca University. And, and she puts it like this, and I just thought this was so beautiful. When Christians sit in the judgment seat, where will Jesus sit? After all, he did promise that when two or more are gathered, he will be there. When we go about this work of reconciliation, we ought to assume Jesus is good on his word and leave him the proper chair in the room. Reconciliation only happens in and through Jesus Christ. And if our arrogant discourse leaves no room for him to correct us and no room to hear his voice in our brother and sister, we are forfeiting what he has promised us to give us what we ask when we humbly agree with one another. And if I were her right now, I would just drop the mic and walk away. Oh, just let that sit with you for a moment. So what, is, what does that mean in the crazy of 2020? Masks or no masks, hit reply on Facebook or delete. What does that mean in an election year? How do we commit to engaging with one another? I think it means that both critique and correction must be in service to reconciliation and return. I think it means that our end goal should then be to gain a brother or sister, as our text says in verse 15. They will know that we are Christians by our love. This great awakening in 2020 to the hurts of our brothers and sisters of color has shown us that we need to grow even deeper, expanding beyond purely resolving our individual conflicts, but to seek healing for entire communities as well. There's a great need in our country for racial reconciliation and healing. 
So as the church navigates what it means to live in community in this season, I pray that we would be a healthy community of regard for one another. As Christy led us in the passing of the peace over these last handful of weeks, we've had the kids memorizing Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly, sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a wise way to remember that we need to posture. What a wise way to remind us of how we need to posture ourselves in this season. Jesus calls us to a different way of life that manifests the kingdom of God instead of balancing the scales. And that begins with a commitment to listening to each other in this season, to understand, to really understand each other. Something that uh, you may not know um, that I recently discovered this last week as well um, is that scripture often talks about the, the verb of listening. It talks about listening and to listen is to understand and to appreciate. A lot of us often get confused when it comes to listening. We think that when someone really listens to us that they also agree with us. But that's not always the case. We can still listen to one another to honor each other while still disagreeing with their choices and having honest conversations about sin with the love and well-being of the other at the center of our conversation. We can have this Christ-centered dialogue that puts our desire for the other party to thrive at the center. And I think that sometimes we forget that God is right here with us in these negotiations. Church, do we imagine that God is present and watching and listening in the midst of our conflicts? Or do we think that God isn't paying attention? It can be especially difficult that while we've been so physically distanced from each other to remember that we are a part of the same body, we are a part of the same community. It's one thing to type a quick reply to someone's comment on Facebook and, and then hit send, but it's another to be sitting across from someone face to face and say those same things. God is not only present in these kinds of conversations, that are difficult, but also necessary. But God is present in these moments that move heaven and earth. Church, in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, God is inviting us to be a part of something beautiful. This season will no doubt be known in history as a great time of conflict and polarization. And as the church, we are called to be truth speakers to systems and powers that wound and destroy with humble hearts, willing to listen and seeking to understand. And we are called to do that with invitations to reconciliation, that all might be one with Christ. Would it be so? Amen. Would you pray with me? 
God, we're so thankful for your word this morning. We're so thankful for the challenge on our hearts to commit ourselves to one another in this season, to reconcile ourselves with others in this season, God, and that your love and your heart for all creation would be at the center of every conflict, at every conversation that pushes us towards heaven. Lord, we love you. In your holy name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.